Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have a dignitary with us this afternoon. Sans couch. I mean, that's the thing that we can continue to bring up. There's no more couch in this room, which is, I know he's kind of glum. And he didn't even that. really comment on the new furnishings. When Has he, he been in here since we've done that? No. I have I have not been in here, and I've been admiring the Crop Doctors podcast sign since I've been here. I really <laughs> like it. I actually really like it. I do. It so scary. Angus just introduces himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you threw it to me with that. Yeah, we no. did. Regular listeners, that's perfect. That is, in fact, Angus Catshot. The legend, Angus Catshot. No longer entomologist, Angus Catshot. That's how he likes to introduce himself now. I used to be an entomologist, and I'm not anymore. And we know he doesn't listen to any of these, so it doesn't really matter. We could, <laughs> <laughs> we could do whatever we want to, right, Tom? I'm going to start listening to them again. <laughs> <laughs> we, look, we've talked bad about you. I bet two, you have. Two or three times. I can imagine. But Cook always gets a little jab in there, too. You know, when he got, at least you don't go into character like Don does, sunglasses, hat completely flipped <laughs> around, and he kind of brings on a little bit more of a drawl when he gets in here. Angus would kick back on that couch, though. I did. I like the couch. But, <laughs> oh, he complained. But I'm going to be honest, this setup you got now for actually doing what you're trying to do, it, this is good. I like oh, it. Now, wait a minute. <clears throat> I don't think we're trying to do it. I think we are <laughs> doing it. Yes, you please, know what I meant. Please change, change that. We're not trying. <laughs> we're doing so Angus has got a big, long, fluffy title now. We can't quote what it is. We'll let him tell you all that in a minute. But we did invite him in to talk about his fairly new job. How long have you been doing that? Like a year? Year and a half. Year and a half. Time is flying. Year and a half. Unbelievable. Angus, since you don't listen to the podcast, a thing I've been doing the last couple of years, I kind of try to ask people these fluky questions. So one I can't, I've come up with as kind of a recurring thing, and I want to ask you because I know you got some stories buried down in there. In all the years that you did extension and then even before that, or when you work for Monsanto, what is the craziest thing you've ever seen when you got called to a field? I've seen a lot of crazy stuff, and I remember when Dr. Vance Watson, when he was the director and VP and all the hats that he wore, he did the extension book. I don't know if you all remember that. It was like Tales from Extension. I do. I think I have a copy on my shelf. And I think the enough time has gone by now, but I was real hesitant because I'd seen a lot, and a lot of it was really funny, but I'd seen a lot. But I was real hesitant about putting anything in his book because it might offend somebody if they if they read it down the road. That we thought it, it was It would be captured in black and white. <laughs> yeah, it would be, yeah. But, no, one day we were looking at some beans up in north, somewhere around Water Valley or so, and there was these two two farmers in the field, and we were looking at them, and they really just had a lot of hot spots, some some hot sand and some spots, and the beans weren't growing. They had a few snails on there, not any really anything, but they were thinking it was snails, and they called us up there. And when we got there, the one brother went into a long diatribe about how these plants were, were not growing, and, in fact, they were even shrinking. Uh, since the last time, and I was sitting there kind of kicking the ground, you know, how am I going to handle this in a way that don't offend anybody, but at the same time, explain that the plants, you know, are not actually shrinking. And finally, the other brother looked at me and said, are you crazy? The plants are not shrinking. The other ones are growing, and these are just sitting there. And he just looked at me and said, oh, okay. And I mean, it was really, at the time, you had to be there kind of, but it was really pretty funny. Anyway, that's kind of a lame story, but it always stuck with me. No, that's a good one. I was... 
at least you're a little bit more polished than I am. <laughs> Are you saying you would have offended the guy? I might have. <laughs> just, sometimes that happens. You know, open mouth, insert foot, that's Tom. It's like feel problem 101, Tom. Don't offend the grower, consultant, retailer. I have learned to not whip out the camera or to start taking pictures like a tourist when you're out there just immediately. And I also try not to talk about sometimes how beautiful the plant disease symptoms are. That really doesn't elicit a good response. Angus, so we've alluded to it, and we didn't butcher your title, but could you give the listener base a general breakdown of what your new role is and your esteemed title? <laughs> All right, I'll try to make an effort to do that. Uh, so my, my title is Associate Director of of MAFIS, that's the, the Ag Experiment Station, mainly in charge of operations. So I work really closely with all of the uh, the four uh, R&E centers and all the associated branch stations and units, but I also work with all the, the nine academic departments on campus, primarily from an operational standpoint, you know, needs, infrastructure, equipment, but, you know, the way that, that our administrative team runs now a lot of it is we just everybody gets the job done. We got a lot of crossover. I mean, I've worked with faculty issues. I've worked with faculty hiring. Uh, we all just kind of tag team in and, and get the job done. I'd say the biggest difference from what I'm doing now and what I did is being on the research side. I have no ties to extension, so I'm completely you know my whole career was extension, and now I'm on the Mayfus side, which is is the research arm. And that's not a big shift. I mean, I did a good a good bit of research back then. I'm kind of tied back into extension a little bit because I'm also interim uh, director of the Central uh, Mississippi R&E Center right now. I have been since September. So I'm kind of tied back into extension off and on now just through that interim role. But primarily my day-to-day is when I get up, I'm working with all of the places around the state that MAFIS serves trying to help them from an operational standpoint. Since you moved from such an extension-centric role, uh, and you do have you know a little bit of a hat now that you're working at uh, at the Raymond R&E Center, did you find that challenging to dive right into something that was going to be research-focused? I mean, you, you did some research, so it's not it's not a huge jump. I'm going to say no. I didn't find it. Of course, everything you do is a challenge. It's just a different a different way to do it. The job, just moving in, being able to kind of take a leadership role and work with all the, the faculty and, and heads across all those departments and R&E centers, I didn't find that part too much of a, of a challenge. Um, you know, there's some of the intricate details about the way the day-to-day operations run, the state budgets, federal budgets, matching, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That was that's somewhat of a learning curve, and I think you'll always continue to learn that stuff, how to use it, how to how to use it best, I guess, to your advantage. But I wouldn't say that the job itself has been a huge learning curve. However, I have learned a tremendous amount in it, if that makes sense. You're not the only administrator that's said that i think darren has pretty much alluded to the same thing and jeff has said the same thing so it's i mean that's they're always gonna throw so much at you i mean you're drinking out of a fire hydrant yeah Yeah, and your days go so quick now because i got like three people put stuff on my calendars you wake up look where you're going to be today so you don't get a lot of time to work on a single project. That's probably one of the biggest things that I'd say is a lot different. I mean, it's pretty rare that I work on one single issue more than 30 minutes or an hour, then I'm pulled to another one. 
Now, as a result of that, sometimes you get something halfway done, then you got to move to a higher priority and you got to keep doubling back. But uh, yeah, again, it's a learning curve and I'll continue to learn stuff every day. It's not, it wasn't intimidating. Uh, and let me put it like that, I guess. It wasn't intimidating. There's a lot of things, you know, I work with now. Before, I was primarily row crops. I knew all the agronomists, weed scientists, plant pathologists, entomologists, everything associated with row crops. I'm equally um, involved now with, with all the animal stuff, whether it be, you know, dairy cows, uh, beef cows, uh, you know, poultry. So it's equal now across all of it. So I've actually really actually enjoyed that because that's different. And I've used this line a lot, and I've kind of wore it out. But you'd think with uh, – I use it when I go to these beef cattle meetings and all, and somebody introduces me, you think with a name like Angus, I'd know a lot about cattle production, but I don't. But I know the people to call, and I call on them regularly. What made you want to change, Angus, other than just new challenges? Was there something bigger than that? Well, I'm not going to say that I wanted to change. So I've had a couple opportunities. So I've been with State for 20 years. I was in private industry, you mentioned earlier, Monsanto, six years before that. I was not looking for an administrative role in no capacity whatsoever. Although I've had opportunities throughout the years, people would mention, we'd really like you to do this, and I wouldn't do it. Had no aspirations of moving into administration, I'm not going to lie. But uh, about, I guess it's about three years ago, Dr. Scott Willard, the director of the experiment station, the dean of, of CALS, asked me if I would be interested in doing a administrative faculty internship out of his office. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I'll be glad to do that. And, you know, that's, I'm still doing my, my, my same job. But we wound up doing that for about a year and a half. So we had weekly meetings. I had special projects that I had to do throughout this year and a half. So I basically got a dose of administration. So I got a really good feel for it. You know, I knew what I was getting into. Uh, he would share the top-level stuff with me and, you know, he'd ask my opinion on things. And what made me make the jump when that ended was what I realized is, you know, 20 years in, if you have a seat at the table, the hopes are that you can make a difference in a way now that you never could then. And there is a lot of truth to that. So – Doing the the internship, the administrative internship for a year and a half is the only reason that I'm I'm where I'm at because I got a dose of it and I did not dislike it. From our perspective, and I guess I'll put words in Tom's mouth, I think he agrees. We said the same thing when Jeff first became the head of DREC. I'm proud for y'all. Selfishly, I'm, I'm not because we don't have you, we don't have Jeff, we don't have Darren kind of down here on the ground level anymore doing what we do and you know i hate that we lost a lot of knowledge with y'all's experience and we've replaced all of y'all with good people but there was still a lot of experience and then a lot of relationship right. you know, that we had because we're all about the same age and we've all been doing this together for a long long time right. i would i would say the exact same thing but it it's helpful that y'all are still just a phone call away, and that's been yeah. the best part. I mean, I mean, I still talk to Darren and you sometimes probably just as much as what I did when y'all were in your other roles, and it's it, the conversation's a little different, but it's still nice that it's the same person on the end of the phone. You know, when you do your annual evaluation now versus when you do it with a faculty member, it's it's 
pretty scattered and hard to kind of figure out what you accomplish because I'm no longer putting down, I got this big grant, I got all these graduate students, uh, did this much research and published this many papers. It's uh, helped this unit accomplish this, or I was able to get all this equipment for these people. And, and, you know, it's a lot different, no question about it. It's a different kind of good, but it's still satisfying, but it's in a, in a different way. I think probably one of the uh, one of the biggest differences is you mentioned that I don't you know you know, I don't call y'all as much as I used to. We still talk some, obviously. I talk to everybody some, but I am still very very much connected to ag. I do a lot of the farm bureau meetings. I go to all, everybody's field days. We try to have an administrative person. I mean, it might be a blueberry field day, a muscadine field day, horticulture, beef cattle, you name it. We try to have somebody in our office at every one of them, and usually I'm the one because I'm out traveling anyway. I, I make a lot of these, so I'm still very connected. I hear the conversations, and it helps me frame the conversations with the director for the needs of the faculty, and that makes a huge difference. Just showing up, hearing what the clientele are saying at y'all's events. So we try to go to all the events that we can absolutely go to, and then I communicate those needs back, and hopefully that trickles down. I would say it, it has trickled down because I think that the level of transparency that we have right now, because we all do have these working relationships, has been beneficial. Sure. I mean, with Darren doing his job and then Angus and now Jeff, we know way more about what's going on, you know, levels up from where we are than we ever did before, just for the simple fact that we know y'all. So I, I guess yeah. what I what I said was true, and I stand behind it. But still, we have information otherwise that we have not had in mm-hmm. the past. And the follow-through, I, th- I think we've seen a lot of follow-through in the last few years. And I know that the one big conversation that everybody keeps talking about, and I'm sure Jason's aware of this, so I don't, I don't want to stick words in his mouth, but the infrastructure needs right now at this university, and I would add, it's not just this university. It's most land-grant universities have tremendous infrastructure needs just because of the time frame that a lot of these buildings were constructed there are some growing pains moving forward with new technology and some other things. And I think that that is definitely the conversation that, that we're all going to have moving forward. And I'm sure you all are already having that. No, you're hundred percent correct. That is the biggest problem. It's not a Mississippi state problem. It's an everybody problem because since being in this role, I've traveled to numerous sister land grant universities, did the tours. And of course everybody takes you to their best newest one building and that kind of stuff. And you're all jealous then they pull you aside and say, but look, all this stuff's falling down. With inflation, not really. I mean, we did get a little bit of an increase this year, 2.6% uh, from the state, which very appreciative. I mean, you're always appreciative of any kind of increase. But we have not – it's been tough keeping up with inflation and deferred maintenance. When your budgets don't increase with inflation and the cost of doing business, what does that mean? You start deferring maintenance. And it's a problem that everybody has, and it's probably my biggest problem that I can't really do a lot about. We just try to prioritize and do what we can. Angus, since you mentioned you've been pretty much throughout the state and you deal with all the R&E centers, and then you're, you're also dealing with some things on campus as well associated with that, what do you think right now is the biggest need within the Mississippi State system? That's a long list. I mean, you could start, but I'm going to keep it on the operational side for a minute. I would say we need uh, more recurring funding. Uh, one-time monies are great. They help us build buildings, uh, and that's a, always a plus. 
but we need to be able to prop our budgets up out of all the R&E centers with money that's going to be there the next year and the next year and the next year. That's a difficult ask, and that's what everybody, of course, wants. But as, like I said, inflation rises and you have to give X amount of budget to an an R&E center and costs go up 10%, you give them the same budget you got last year, the only way you meet those budgets, say a faculty member leaves or retires, you don't fill the position. So you start seeing some of that happening. That's just one example of a way, or you make cuts. And we don't want to do that. And we've been fortunate. I think we've accomplished a lot with a little, no question about it. But to get where we need to be, we need more dollars. And everybody will tell you that. That's, that's everybody's argument, and everybody will tell you that. So I'm not sitting here complaining about it. We're certainly grateful for the increase that we got. But more operating money, of course, allows you to do new things, venture into new areas, uh, hire new faculty, and which bring in grants, which generates more money from indirect costs and so forth. And But we're doing a lot with what we got. I would add the just in the last year, there have been some, you know, positive infrastructure changes. You know, we can just locally, you know, you can talk about the fact that they just redid some lights in a room here yesterday, the last two days. I mean, it's just astonishing when you see what the difference is between the, you know, 1960s lighting structure versus what they're talking about now. I'm like, that doesn't even look like the same room. I think Kenner said 1966. I was like, good night. Did they put a skylight in there? I mean, it looks like natural lighting. It's pretty impressive. Well, I think going forward, you know, I had a an alum recently tell me, and he's a big ag alum, we were at one of the advisory board meetings on campus, and this was before the budgets was handed down from the state and everything else, and we were just having a conversation, and he just randomly, he, you know, very successful businessman, just randomly made the comment to me. He said, Angus, if y'all have to rely on the state for all your funding, he said, you're going to be going backwards. And he started talking about we need to start thinking in the direction of, of private partnerships. And we're doing some of that, of course, we, and we always have. But that's really resonated with me. As I travel to some of these other universities like the Ohio State and some of those they're really big, uh, NC State, and developing these private partnerships. And it's something we have been thinking about a lot, and that's just one potential avenue that, in a direction that we're thinking. Another thing that we've done recently that we've never had before in the division is we actually got a grant writer now, uh, Cassie McGee. So she spends every day scouring for all the, the federal grants or you name it. So there are projects out there that we've never had a person really in place that's doing, and some of them are for infrastructure. And we're going to start hitting on some of them, and that's going to make a difference in the future. What's an example of a private partnership that's been successful? I can't remember exactly some of the companies. Like Ohio State had a lot. Their development team came in and and, and gave us a talk at the last meeting I was at. Let me just throw something out there, just a hypothetical. This is is not a real example. Say a, uh, like Nissan, they come to the state of Mississippi. You know, we got a, a... calf center on campus and, and maybe you work some kind of arrangement with them that we do this or they do that. I mean, it's, it's really just a give take, but it could be anything. I just use that as a hypothetical, Sure. but any big business that might be wanting to come that Mississippi state may offer them some sort of expertise that they don't currently have. It can be a very lucrative push pull. If we can come to some agreement where we can offer them something, they can offer us something, but everybody's doing it to some degree or another entrepreneurship is a big buzzword right now about uh, Texas A&M has a really fabulous entrepreneurship program, but there's all kind of things that can be done from a, from a private public partnership. 
And that was just an example of what other people are doing. And we have some of these agreements. Now, don't get me wrong, but just thinking down the road on, you know, how do you continue funding? We might need to be delving into areas just a little more than we have. You mentioned one way to kind of tweak the revenue would be if someone leaves, don't replace that position. And then we've talked about these infrastructure type brick and mortar things. Is one of those a bigger need, people resources versus physical resources? I would say they're they're both pretty high on the list. So from a people standpoint, and you know, everybody gets upset if you have a department and a faculty member retires, leaves or or whatever he does, and you don't fill it. But you got what you gotta think about is those dollars are used for the next person you hire that needs a big startup package. I mean, that money's got to come from somewhere. That's where those position hold money. You know, if you're holding a position over that has not been filled, they go to all kind of stuff. We might even redirect the position completely. Maybe that maybe you need, uh, you know, the new hottest thing, whether it be climate or whatever you name, we might need to redirect that position to something that's new and that brings in a tremendous amount of money. Not to say what we're doing on the other side is not worth refilling. I mean, a lot of them are, and we do fill those quickly. But retaining and keeping people is not an easy thing to do for us. Um, I think my boss wrote like 19 retention letters last year alone. So everybody is looking for people. Everybody's looking for good people. But having the funds to do that is obviously important, and we have got to be competitive with, with all the other institutions. I mean, for graduate students, for the best faculty, and again, 19, we got roughly 240 employees in the division and had to write 19 retention letters. Keep in mind, so that's 19, obviously, that we're about to leave. Think about the however many more that we didn't write retention letters on. So there's constantly a swapping back and forth of faculty between private industry, between other universities, and we've got to figure out a way to keep our best and brightest. Now, back to your brick and mortar. Brick and mortar is generally a hard thing to get. A lot of the grants you get don't allow brick and mortar, but there are some. And our grant writer, who I just mentioned a while ago, has identified several. And we have some, some grants out there waiting to see if we, we get it or not. So they're equally important. you got to have one to have the other. So it goes back and forth. And I think that was the point I was looking for you to make is one's ineffective if you don't have the other. Exactly, 100%. And you think about now, if you think about today, What's going on? What's different? Even think about it in your world, Tom. A lot more of the people, faculty members that we hire, just say in row crops, for example, because that's what we're all sitting here are very familiar with. A lot of the new faculty that are coming out that we might hire require labs. You look at me, and you know everybody's got a little lab, but I mean they bring with them a lot of molecular techniques and all the new stuff, and they require a lab, which is space. Space is a huge issue always. We are always looking at trying to find space for people. But a lot of the training that people have now, a lot of it is lab-based, and they require a lab that we may or may not have, and a lot of equipment. So things, things change. And, again, none of this is complaining. We are, I really feel like we're in a fabulous position here at Mississippi State University. There's no question about it. But these are just some of the challenges you've asked about and things that we think about every day. Anybody who's here – and anybody that we work with real closely has has needs. But you're right. I think those of us that have been here for a good bit of time, and the three of us in this room have all been here pretty close to about the same amount of time. There's a reason we stayed. And, you know, I keep coming back to I think this is one of the best places to work. I think the people that are here 
and not just on this experiment station are spectacular. It's a great place to be. The, the friendships and relationships you have with people at Mississippi State, stellar. The university's pretty much never told me no. I've been extremely blessed and have had to piece some things together, but, but the lab thing is, that's not easy. I mean, that's the hardest part. And, and as things shift from a technological standpoint, we're gonna have to figure out how to think outside the box and be a bit more creative about bringing in dollars and putting pieces together with specific faculty. And then you, know, you mentioned the word that's the one right now that really just sticks with me is retention. You've got to maintain the people you have and not let some of the really, really good ones go because how do you fill that position from that point forward? No, that's that's a hundred percent. You you got to have good in Mississippi State. We still do train a lot of really really good graduate students here, and other universities are too. But you know, I'm involved in all kind of different from some aspect or another of, of job searches from different departments. And Lord, you you advertise for like a you know somebody in souls right now. The you get no applicants hardly, <laughs> nothing. I mean, and it's like that through some of these other very applied disciplines that you would think. It would not be, but it is. It's hard to find the kind of people because in Mississippi, we're still very applied. We do very applied research at Mississippi State, and that's one of the reasons I think our clientele is so connected to us. But put a job search out for a, a very applied position and see how many applicants you get. Unless you groom yourself or her or whoever it might be, the list is very, very short, very short. So we got to keep putting out these good students, and we might have to hire some of our own in a lot of cases, but – you know, it's not easy finding the right people anymore. It's just not. And that's why these other universities are, you know, they'll come in and try to, to steal your people. Speaking of clientele, Angus, you know the folks that listen to this podcast. You know a lot of them personally because you are a, a gifted people person, and, and they know you too. Just thinking about the kind of folks that listen to us, what do you tell them about Mississippi State and about land-grant universities in general? Well, I'd say our land-grant university, and I think most of our listeners understand our mission, is teaching, research, and service. And I think we do a really, really good job at that. The one thing that I would add to that is talk to us. If you have a problem, if you have a praise, if you have anything, let us know. If we, we can't fix things if we don't know that there's a problem. One of the things, and I, I kind of hate to say it, and I was told it was going to happen, I really kind of didn't believe it because I'm just – you know, friends with, with, with everybody. They, somebody said, when you get in this position, people are not going to treat you the same. I think for the most part, people do, but it's not the same. So I don't hear the, as much of the insider talk as I used to, and sometimes that insider talk is very important. It helps us make decisions. We are very, very clientele-focused, and I cannot stress that enough. All of our partners, Farm Bureau, Delta Council, Soybean, Cotton, Corn Promotion Boards, you name it, we really, really take take it serious, the things that they recommend, that they say, our advisory boards to PSS, to entomology, you name it, Ag Econ, you name it, landscape architect. We are very tuned in to what the people want at Mississippi State. That is, I think, one of our biggest strengths, I'll be honest, because if our clientele have a real issue and they come to us, we – we're not going to just run, you know, our direction without taking any of their input. We really, really discuss and try to meet the needs of the stakeholders in the state of Mississippi. And I'm not saying other universities do that, but I can't imagine anybody doing it to the extent that we do. It is very important. It's very top of the list for, for our director. 
and our VP and, and our whole group, even on the extension side. I don't think you can add anything to that. I think that's a good place to wrap it up, Tom. And I, you're right, Angus, from y'all's level and higher up all the way down to our level. And that's what we get up in the morning doing is thinking about what our stakeholders, clientele, whatever word you want to apply to them, but our farmers, consultants, yep. retailers, all those guys in this state, how we can best serve them. We can't get around to everything every single year, but that is what drives the train, I think. That's absolutely what drives it. Great to see you, Angus, as always. Well, great to see you. And I guess the thing I'll end it on is the thing I kind of, I guess you, everybody asks me, you know, what's different about it. And one thing is I don't, I can't, I just can't answer calls anymore. If you could see my calendar and how many meetings I'm in from one hour to the next. So I miss talking to the farmers, the consultants, the retailers, you know, and the basics. And I do miss that. Um, and I've passed all that on. And I think the groups, all the groups we got coming, whether it be from Gourmet or you know, Darren or people that's moved on that no longer can take them calls, you know, I, I do miss that. But it's not because I've been ignoring. I just cannot get to it in these roles anymore. You just can't do it. But I miss talking to everybody, especially the people that's in this podcast. Well, y'all show some Angus some love then when you see him. Make sure you wrap your arms around him. Give, a good, give him a good old bear hug. He'll appreciate it. <laughs> Angus, thanks, buddy. Well, the Mississippi you, buddy. Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.